Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time to uh, look at the church year, look at some of the traditions of the church and the way that they point us to your son. And we ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we are on, um, once again, on page 8, the church and ministry. And so we will cycle on through this and maybe finish this up today. Oh, eight. So, did you get that one? What's the question? Oh, it begins with when were you made a member of the church? Okay. Oh, okay, I got you. I'm sorry. Yeah, the church and the ministry, that section. So, the second to last section. Okay, here we go. When were you made a member of the church? I was made a member of the church when I was baptized. What is the church? The church is the body of which Jesus Christ is the head, and all baptized people are the members. How is the church described in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds? The church is described in the creeds as one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. What do you mean by these words? We mean that the church is one because it is one body under one head, holy because the Holy Spirit dwells in it, and sanctifies its members, Catholic because it is universal, holding sincerely the faithful all time, in all countries and for all people, and is sent to preach the gospel to the whole world, apostolic because it continues firmly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. What is your binding duty as a member of the church? My binding duty is to follow Christ, to worship God every Sunday in his church, and to work and pray and give for the spread of his kingdom. What special means does the church provide to help you do all these things? The church provides the laying of hands or confirmation. Here, after renewing the promises and vows of my baptism and declaring my loyalty and devotion to Christ as my master, I receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit to give me inner strength. After you've been confirmed, what great privilege does our Lord provide for you? Our Lord provides the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, for the continual strengthening and refreshing of my soul. What orders of ministers are there in the church? Bishops, priests, and deacons, which orders have been in the church from earliest times. What is the office of a bishop? The office of a bishop is to be chief pastor in the church, to confer holy orders, and to administer confirmation. What is the office of a priest? The office of a priest is to minister to the people committed to his care, to preach the word of God, to baptize, to celebrate Holy Communion, and to pronounce absolution and blessing in God's name. What is the office of a deacon? The office of a deacon is to assist the priest in divine service and in his other ministrations under the direction of the bishop. What are the main seasons of the church year? The main seasons of the church year are Advent, when we anticipate the coming of the Lord, Christmas tide when we celebrate the nativity of Jesus, epiphany tide when we celebrate the Lord's revelation to the nations, Lent, a season of repentance and anticipation of the resurrection, Holy Week when we remember our Lord's passion and death, Easter tide when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, ascension tide when we celebrate our Lord's ascension into heaven and seating at the right hand of the Father. Pentecost, or Whit Sunday, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. Trinity Tide, when we celebrate the Holy Trinity and grow in our walk with God. What are the typical colors associated with these seasons? 
The traditional colors associated with the church year are violet for Advent, Lent, and Holy Week and funerals, a somber color of anticipation and repentance, white for Christmas tide, Epiphany, Easter tide, Ascension tide, Trinity Sunday, and funerals, a color of celebration, green for Epiphany tide and Trinity tide, a color of growth and life for ordinary time, red for Pentecost, confirmations, ordinations, and martyrs' feasts, a color representing the fire of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Bible? The Holy Bible or Holy Scripture is God's Word and contains all things necessary for salvation. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself, tells the story of God and His people, and contains all the teachings of Christ and the, and the Apostles. Everything we must believe is read in or proved by Scripture. How many books are in the Bible? The Bible includes the 39 books of the Hebrew Old Testament and the 27 books of the Greek New Testament. These are the 66 canonical books of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. Okay, we are wrapping up our, um, this section here. So we are on the, uh, the questions about the church year. I'm going to combine the question about the main seasons of the church year and the colors together so we don't end up kind of re retreading ground at the same time. So the church year begins with Advent. Um, so um, just as uh, you know, our civil year begins in January, um, for some folks their fiscal year might begin in September. For us, the church year always begins in Advent, and that's four Sundays before Christmas uh, begin the season of Advent. And so Advent, we anticipate the coming of the Lord. Notice that in the catechism it didn't say the birth of our Lord. It says the coming of our Lord because during Advent we focus not just on his first coming, but we also anticipate his second coming. These ideas that these things go together liturgically. And so we have hymns like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, and and we, we, we tend to see two main themes in Advent. One is um, that, that, that idea of exile and anticipation of being freed by the coming of the Messiah. And then the second one is, again, that second coming of the Lord. The best Advent hymns all kind of work those themes in together. And they're, they're some of the best hymns poetically, I think. And we, we use um, violet for Advent um, because it's a, it's a somber color of anticipation and repentance. You'll see some folks like to use blue in, in Advent and violet in Lent. Um, I'm pretty sure that's just a scheme cooked up by the vestment companies to make more money. I mean, seriously, I, re I really think that's the case. Um, when you look at, um, well, we'll talk about kind of the development of the, the church. I mean, you know, let me let me talk about that now, since since we're going to do these together. So the church, the color of the vestments and everything, those church colors develop over time. Um, this is a neat book written by a fellow named Percy Dearmer. Percy, blessed Percy, was one of the great late nineteenth and early twentieth century uh, high churchmen in the English church, and his writings are always snarky and very well researched. So that makes for a fun read if you're a liturgy nerd like me. But um, so he talks about um, you, you start to see different colors in terms of vestments and stuff beginning in about the sixth century. And um, all that's really happening then is that sp the best white stuff is set aside for Easter in those early days. And you just kind of have stuff for um, in any, the rest of the year, just whatever you have. 
Um, and that's kind of the way it still is in the Eastern Orthodox Church today. They don't have a color scheme the way we do. Basically, it's for your super high feast, you get white and gold. Everything else, you just kind of use what you got. Um, some Eastern churches, I think probably under the influence of us Western folks, will have darker colors during the penitential season, lighter colors during other times. But it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter. There's not a specific color scheme beyond that sort of deal. In the ninth century, we begin to see some people using black or dark vestments for the penitential seasons. And so by the ninth century, by, by the time you get towards the end of the ninth century, you start to see three, three versions. White for Easter, um, black or other dark colors for the penitential seasons, and anything else for the rest of the year. And again, some of the Eastern churches do it more or less that way as well. Um, you start to see in the 12th century, some folks are using red um, for Passion Tide. Um, and then later on in the Middle Ages, you start to get more. You get, um, you start to get uh, red, violet, green, and black sequence. Um, and then, you know, what, what's used for, 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 for violet and what's used for black, it's a little fuzzy during those days. You'll see some folks use yellow instead of green. Um, but all that kind of goes together. And, and what, what ends up happening is that because they don't really have um, definite color palettes the way we do in terms of modern technology, you see a lot of variation. So that's where, where you do see some, you know, that violet kind of ranges from a purple to a blue, sometimes into blacks. Um, that's just the way that that's the way that goes. By by the 12th century, you really see um, things beginning to get set in Rome. Our current color scheme really gets solidified in the 20th century. It's really a simplification of what's going on um, before then in the Roman Catholic Church. In in our sacristy, we have in addition to those four colors, we've got black and rose. Um, rose being used for two Sundays, one Sunday during Advent, one Sunday during, during Violet, I'm sorry, during Lent, um, in, instead of the Violet. And that's kind of where you're mixing a little bit of white in with the Violet is the idea, that those are the, like the halfway points in these penitential seasons when we bring in a little bit of joy in, in the traditional liturgies. Um, and then black being basically kind of a super Violet sort of thing, extra penitential, and we only use black for... Um, uh, for Good Friday and then for um, funerals sometimes. You'll notice in our, in our color scheme here that funerals get a lot of different things. What happens is um, prior to the 20th century, black was the norm for funerals. Everybody wears black during funerals. Then in the 20th century, when kind of the extra stuff gets eliminated, they, they kind of roll in black with violet, kind of going back to an older way of doing things. And so violet is used for funerals. In the late 20th century, people start to want to do more of a celebration of life kind of thing. And so white becomes the norm because, hey, we're celebrating their life rather than mourning them. I don't frankly like that. Um, I think that's not good for us pastorally. Um, there might be some good theological reasons to do that, but I don't like that. Unfortunately for us here at All Saints, our our um, urn pall and our and our casket pall are both white um, because at the time that, that that was bought, you know, the other stuff had just gone out of out of fashion. You couldn't get it anymore, but um, that's no longer the case. So we'll we'll see how things go in the future. Okay, back to the church years themselves. So Advent coming before Christmas, 
and and it's that about four weeks or so with the violet because it's um, penitential, anticipatory, anticipating the coming of the Lord. So in Christmas tide, it says we celebrate the nativity of Jesus. When we put tide at the end of the word, what do we mean? Yeah, just season. It's just an older English way of saying season. So Christmas tide lasts 12 days, right? The 12 days of Christmas. Oh, my true love gave to me and all that other stuff. And so we use white because it is one of our two main kind of super celebratory seasons. Um, Christmas and Easter are the two big ones. Um, and so, yeah, we use white during Christmas tide. And the last day of Christmas tide really is the Feast of the Epiphany itself. And so we still get white for Epiphany. And Epiphany being the celebration of the Lord's um, revelation to the nations with the coming of the wise men and all that sort of thing. But there's a lot of other themes that in the old days were associated with Epiphany, and they get kind of dragged out over the up to six weeks after Epiphany. And um, starting with the Sunday that follows Epiphany, actually I think starting with the day after Epiphany, if memory serves actually, we switch to green for the seasons because that's kind of these times of growth. These, these you know, we, Some places call it ordinary time today. In the Roman Catholic Church, in the current calendar, they actually count weeks of ordinary time beginning with the week, the Sunday after Epiphany. Then they stop the count when you get to Lent and pick it up again um, on, after Trinity Sunday. So that gets very confusing because there's like this big gap and then you, you continue the count of ordinary time. We don't do it that way. Our calendar's never done it that way. We've always counted it as the Sundays after Epiphany, and then the other ordinary times, the Sundays after Trinity. Some Anglicans will do it the Sundays after Pentecost, hearkening back to kind of an older way of counting. Um, Trinity Sunday really is the last major feast day to get solidified. And so in the oldest calendars, Trinity Sunday was the first Sunday after the Pentecost, um, because Pentecost Sunday is always just before Trinity Sunday. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. Let's get back to, uh, so, we, so we didn't get as confused. So Epiphany Tide, Epiphany Sunday being the last, the last day of Christmas, or Epiphany, the day of Epiphany being the last day of Christmas Tide, and then the Sundays following, beginning the, the Sundays after the Epiphany, um, we celebrate the Lord's revelation to the nations. Then we have Lent, uh, that season of repentance in anticipation of the resurrection. We go into intentional fasting, repentance, and whatnot. Now, um, the older calendar, including the one in our 28 prayer book, actually has a season of pre-Lent that begins with Septuagesima three weeks before Lent. Septuagesima roughly meaning the 70th day before Easter. In Latin, Lent is um, quadragesima, which is the 40 days before Easter. So we, we add three weeks, about 70 days. The math doesn't quite work out right in any of those things, but that's okay. It's an estimation. Um, so we would actually begin our violet time in um, kind of preparing for the penitential season at the end of Epiphany Tide with the, the season of pre-Lent with the, our older calendar. Um, but again, a lot of Anglicans, in our, and especially a lot of folks in our diocese, that pre-Lent falls off in the 20th century. Um, I think that's a shame because if you're going to do Lent well with where you really kind of you know, you, you get into the fasting, you get into into that penitence, you kind of do need to build it up. It's like you don't jump into the gym after never working out for the year and start maxing out. I mean, that's going to hurt you. Um, so you kind of work up to the discipline. 
And uh, in, in the, traditionally, you would, during those seasons of those three weeks of pre-Lent, you would give up something towards the fast. The way we fast today is pretty weak sauce compared to the way it was, you know, even 300 years ago. Um, so they would need to ramp up to the fast, especially. They would use pre-Lent for that. Okay, Holy Week is that last week of Lent, and we remember our Lord's passion and death. Um, it focuses to, from kind of general repentance and that sort of thing and the spiritual disciplines that that fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It focuses then on the, the, the events in the last week of Christ's life. Um, so things, things kind of ramp up during Holy Week. Some folks will use red for Holy Week. That was um, an older way of doing it. You see that, I think our altar guild manual actually recommends that. Um, we, we, that's never been our, our practice and we're, we're not going to pick it up. Largely because the calendars we buy to help everybody keep on track don't do that. And I don't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> we, we want to stick with what's in the calendar. It makes things a lot easier. Okay, um, so, so we, we, continue, we continue the violet during Holy Week um, instead. Um, Easter tide, when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. So that's Easter and the 50 days after it, after Easter. The 50 days leading up to Pentecost. Um, and so that's going to be white. It's going to be a season of celebration. Um, it is a feast time, so the exact opposite of what's going on during Lent. Um, then Ascension Tide is that last 10 days of, of Easter Tide, because the Ascension happened, the Lord ascended into heaven 10 days before Pentecost. And so we have this little mini season of Ascension Tide at the end of, at the end of, um, of Easter Tide. Um, this last 10 days. They are part of the 50 days of Easter, but they're also their own kind of mini-season. And it's all, we're also in white during, during the Ascension time. And then Pentecost, or Whit Sunday, Whit Sunday meaning the White Sunday, um, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit like we read about in Acts. Um, we, we use red on, on Pentecost because red representing the fire of the Holy Ghost. Um, the white, when it says Whit Sunday, that white Sunday was not referencing the liturgical color because at the time there wasn't necessarily a set liturgical color, but it was the custom of the folks that were getting baptized on Pentecost, which was a big baptismal day for converts, um, would have a white robe um, for their baptizing. Everybody would dress in white to kind of celebrate. You'll find in a lot of Anglican and Episcopal places, everybody, a lot of folks will dress in red. Um, some churches kind of do that more than others, but that's more kind of local custom than anything else. And then Trinity Tide, when we celebrate the Holy Trinity and grow in our walk with God. Um, Trinity Sunday being white, the rest of Trinity Tide being in, um, in green for the growth. Um, and yeah, Trinity Sunday is the last of the major feast days to get added to the calendar. And it kind of gets added out of popular demand rather than the church saying, hey, we need a special feast for the Trinity. Because if you'll notice, everything else here is the events of our Lord's life. Um, Trinity Sunday is kind of an outlier, and it really becomes, like I said, this, this popular demand in the Western church. Um, so that, that, that happens. Trinity Sunday is white. The rest of Trinity Tide is green. And that's about half of the year is the rest of Trinity's, Trinity Tide. It can be, oh gosh, yeah, a good 27, 28 weeks sometimes. Um, it's usually in the, at least in the low 20s um, as far as that goes. Um, let's see if there's other, other things that we didn't address. We did address the funerals. Um, oh, martyrs' feasts. 
So in terms of kind of other, other outside the calendar feast days, you've got various saints days that are attached to the calendar, most of which are on set days um, on the calendar. Um, at, the time, at the time of the Reformation, the calendar had just been absolutely bloated with saints' days to where there was almost no ordinary days. Every day was a, was a special saints' day. Um, and some of these saints, man, you didn't even know who the heck they were. It was, there was a lot of superstition, a lot of legends, and stuff like that. The Reformers chopped that calendar down significantly, um, partially because they wanted to have that regular day-in, day-out aspect of the church year when we kind of could methodically go through the scriptures. Um, so that's part of it. And part of it was they just really realized it was just, the calendar was just bloated with saints' days. Um, and, and the Roman Catholic Church, it still is. Like if you listen to EWTN or Catholic radio, if you're ever driving around, every single day, here's, here's our saints' day for the day. And sometimes there's a bunch of different saints' days. And, and from time to time in the Roman Church, they will shuffle saints' days around because there's somebody that kind of got missed and they need to emphasize them more, so they got to find a new open spot. And it's, it's a real kind of funny situation. And, and, and nobody treats every saints' day as a feast, even in those situations, because... You know, to paraphrase the kid from The Incredibles, when every day is special, no day is special, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, nobody treats, they, they, might sell, they might recognize saints' days on every day, but they don't actually celebrate, celebrate them every day. It's not every day is a feast day. Um, in the English calendar, they would have red letter days and black letter days. Red letter days were the major feast days and fast days, and those were usually commemorated major figures. So apostles, the apostles, a few of the um, that weren't part of the 12 end up on red letter days, folks like Timothy and Titus and that sort of people. Um, but major biblical figures end up with the red letter days. Minor figures that are not in the Bible or... Old Testament figures end up with black letter days, which are kind of commemorations rather than celebrations. Our calendar in the American church was even simpler. We basically have a handful of figures. They are all New Testament figures. And I think with the exception of Michael, the, Michael and St. Michael and all angels, Michaelmas, I think every one of those days is, um, is one of the apostles. I don't think we have anybody out well, and then two Marian, we, we did retain two Marian feast days. Um, the Assumption, not the Assumption, we don't celebrate the Assumption. The Annunciation and the, and the Presentation in the Temple, um, the Purification. So we retain those two Marian feast days being events celebrating an event in the life of our Lord. Um, so that's the calendar. Um, and uh, Easter is always, because it's always on a Sunday, it's complex how we calculate Easter. Um, it doesn't really matter, but that means the Easter cycle moves from year to year. The Christmas cycle does not. It's, it's, it's always anchored to December 25th. So the spring cycle, things are going to get fuzzy um, as to how early these things happen or how late they happen. Um, but, but Lent always begins on a Wednesday, always ends on Easter Sunday. But when that happens in the year, it will change. Uh, so, yeah, that, and Easter, the Easter cycle happens earlier in the church. The Christmas cycle gets added later um, in the church, and then the readings associated with those as well. Pretty much by the 10th century, our, our, our readings as we have them in here are for the most part set 
uh, and they were retained until the 20th century major liturgical changes, which um, here we don't follow, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we, we hold on to the old calendar, and which, which is, I mean, there, there's good stuff and bad stuff to both ways. It doesn't really matter, but okay, questions? Yes. Okay, so have you ever heard pre-Lent called the Jesuit Sundays? Uh, Jessima. Yeah, not Jesuit, not Jesuit, but Jessima. Yeah, yeah, not not Jesuit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so they're called yeah, the um Jessima or Jessima Sundays because the suffix for all those have the word have Jessima in them in the Latin. So three Sunday three Sundays before Lent is Septuagesima, which roughly means seventy days. The um next Sunday, so two Sundays before Lent is um Sexagesima, roughly sixty means rough means 60 days um then quinquagesima um try saying that three times fast uh which is which is the week before lent and, and means 50 days and then in latin lent is quadragesima the 40 days before lent so yeah sometimes they're called the the, the gesimas or the gesima um sundays yeah um yeah and it, it you'll find them yeah, different people will refer to them as pre-Lent. Some will prefer, refer to them as the, the, the Gesimas or the Jessimas. And it's really the same thing. Okay? So that was, um, that was a tradition of the universe, that was a universal Western church tradition until the 20th century. Um, when that was dropped off in then. So you'll find, um, yeah, before the liturgical changes in the 1960s, led by Vatican II, all of the liturgical churches in the Western church had, the, had, the, had pre-Lent. Is that what happened at Trinity Tide in the Roman Catholic tradition? Because they don't have that for any of their catechism. Right, yeah, Trinity, instead of Trinity Tide, they have ordinary time. So what happens is at Vatican II, there's this desire to simplify the calendar again. Um, so the calendar was simplified at the Reformation regarding saints' days, but then they wanted to simplify the whole structure in um, at Vatican II, so one of the things they do is they they this is just part of the spirit of the '60s. I mean, let's just face it; that's just the way things are. Um, less penitence, you know, that sort of deal. Um, and so they, yeah, they they changed it from. Um, I think in the Roman tradition, it had been the Sundays after Pentecost, not Trinity Tide. Um, I believe because in Rome, at the time of the Reformation, Rome itself was still counting them the Sundays after Pentecost. They had, even though they were celebrating Trinity Sunday, they were counting them as the Sundays after Pentecost. And at Trent, so that's Rome's response to the Reformation, at Trent, everybody gets on the same calendar in the, in the Catholic Church. And so they adopt what Rome was already doing. But we, we, had, we just continued doing the English custom, the local English custom at the time, which was, I think, really... England, France, Germany were all doing it this way until, you know, even, you know, until the Reformation. Um, we continued counting it as Trinity Tide because we were counting them after Trinity, not after Pentecost. But at, at those liturgical changes at post-Vatican II, they make it, it's just ordinary time. So they get rid of Sundays after Epiphany, Sundays after Pentecost for them, and they just call it the ordinary time. Um, it's the same thing, it's just they just call it something different. And, and I think the idea is they didn't really see any special focus during the Sundays after Epiphany versus the Sundays after um, Trinity. 
I think they're wrong in that, especially regarding the Sundays after Epiphany. Those first several Sundays have some definite, really old um, Epiphany focuses, foci. My Latin's better that way. Yeah. Um, um, some of the later ones, yeah, they're just kind of gravy, but, but yeah. They just kind of lumped it into this general ordinary time. All right, well, that puts us at 7 o'clock. I will see you all in Compline. And we are probably two weeks from finishing the catechism, if not one week. <laughs>